good morning. Seems like we've heard that a lot, haven't we? Good morning. Everybody's come up here. Good morning. And everybody's come up here has preached a little bit, too. So I, I just, Ted, I thought that I wouldn't have to do anything. As soon as you opened up your word, I thought, he's preaching my sermon. It's already done. There you go. And then when you prayed for Pastor Nick, I thought Nick was going to come up and do the sermon because uh, um, I don't go by Pastor Nick anymore. I have too much respect for that title uh, to attach it to myself. Besides, I resigned from the pastorate ministry back in January, and I am now working with Rapid City Young Life full-time, so I'm, I'm more of a, a field mission guy, I guess. I don't know what you'd put up on my door, just mission guy, I guess, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, my text that I wanted to launch out of this morning is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's a verse that hopefully Mark didn't just preach on. If he did, you know, you got it, take a snooze. If he didn't, uh, well, hopefully I'm okay here. This verse has confused me at times. It's easy to understand. It really is. It, it's pretty black and white when you read it. But yet the words that are in there, like we, we heard, sometimes we forget the words. The words that are in this passage are so deep, and the concept is so much to understand that uh, it, it's not only confusing, it then becomes convicting. <laughs> as you look at these words and realize, boy, I have to measure myself against this every day. How am I doing? And then it's, it's challenging because what good are these words if we just listen to them, as we heard from James, uh, but yet do not do them? So uh, I thought is uh, you know, isn't that cool? We're already singing Christmas songs. Anybody have that fight, how, how early you can officially start Christmas songs? Um, our, our rule, uh, or my rule, I guess, because if I didn't have a rule, we'd be listening to them year-round, um, is as soon as it snows, and then we can put the Christmas songs on. And then, what, three years ago, Atlas hit? October 4th, we were playing Christmas. That yeah, was a little bit early. I made a playlist for my wife on Spotify this year, which she now has nearly 500 songs for Christmas to listen to until we get there. And uh, I, I was... I was listening to a Christmas song just the other day, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We all know that one, right? We don't have to sing it right now. But there's a line in there that really struck me. And, I, and for some reason, it's just like, how come I never really paid attention to those words before? And, and it's, it's this line, mild he lays his glory by. And uh, I like Christmas. And one of the reasons I like Christmas so much is because we get to celebrate the incarnation of the creator of the heavens and the earth, the almighty God who spoke everything into being, did not remain distant and invisible to us, but took on human flesh and came and walked amongst us so that we could know him and in knowing him, make him known. The incarnation is a phenomenal thing. And so as I thought more about that passage and that verse, uh, it led me back to this, this verse, Galatians 2.20, which I guess is kind of my, hopefully my life verse, the one that keeps knocking me up alongside of the head. And, uh, and I began to seek for how those two things came together. So here's the passage. Uh, and, and of course, in its context, Paul's explaining that you can't, you can't make yourself worthy of God. 
You can't do it in your own steam, in your own power. And, and, and he's talking to Christians in this that you think would understand the gospel of grace, but they kind of fell back into this, well, it's up to me thing. Guilty as charged. <laughs> it's so easy to become the Pharisee. It's so easy to become that person that, that we don't want to be and say, well, it's, I, I've got to do this somehow. Now that Christ has saved me, I've got to make it all work. And, and we get frustrated real fast. And so that's why this verse just kind of knocks me alongside the head. Uh, Galatians 2.20, Paul says here, and, and this is true of Paul and it's true of you and me if we are believers in Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Lord, as we read this passage, it's declaring a reality about us as believers that in some way, somehow, we perished on the cross with you. And that old life, that old brokenness, that old dysfunction, that old condition of being separated from you ceased to exist, and you made us new creatures. And the life that we now live is no longer our own, but it's yours, and somehow you're to be lived out in our flesh now. That there's a second kind of incarnation that's occurring here. So Lord, help us to understand that. And help us to remember that, that it's by faith, which means we, we live outside of ourselves. We, we look to a source beyond, beyond me. We look to you. We look to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We look to the living word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we pray, God, that you would make yourself known, not only to us, but through us that others might know the joy that we are celebrating in this season and the reason we give thanks each and every day of our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, no, it was two weeks ago, I preached in a church in Custer, got up there, looked up, they got a digital clock at the back instead of analog. Guess what? I don't math and preach well at the same time. So now I don't have an excuse. Am I supposed to be done at 9? Is that the, that the correct time? So, okay, all right. I saw, I saw a few, oh, we don't care, and then I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I want to try to honor that as best as I can. So as I said, I, I work in, in Young Life now. Is, just show of hands, anybody ever heard, heard of Young Life, the ministry of Young Life? Okay, have you heard good things or bad things? Good things? Anybody, anybody say eh, maybe some bad things? Because it's okay if you have because I've run into that. Uh, I've run into where, you know, Young Life is, in some areas has done some damage. It's an international ministry. Uh, it's in 80 countries. Uh, it's, it's everywhere in the United States now. It's, uh, South Dakota was the last state to get a Young Life area. And uh, that happened 16 years ago. And this is kind of how it started. Uh, I was a youth pastor at a church, and a couple came to me and said, let's have lunch. And I'm always up for a free lunch. And uh, this was just right after the Columbine shooting. Uh, and uh, this couple sat down, and, and they said something quite alarming to me. 
They said, you know those two guys that, that shot everybody? We think that if someone could have reached them with the gospel, this tragedy never would have happened. And we also think that this isn't the last time such a tragedy as this will happen. So we want you to start a ministry to reach kids like those. And they slid a check across the table to me for $10,000. They said, don't take this back and put it to your church's youth group. We want you to start a ministry outside of that that will go out and reach these furthest out kids. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I didn't have a clue how to even start doing that. So I gathered some other youth pastors around, told them the story, and we began to pray and pray and pray. That check sat at my desk for months. And then one day I got invited to come down to Omaha, Nebraska to talk to a lady named Pam Moore, who was at that time the regional director of of Young Life in that area. And she told us all about Young Life, I and a couple other youth pastors. And as we drove back that long drive across eastern South Dakota, we were yakking away, and it dawned on me that that was the ministry we've been praying for. We didn't have to start something new. God was bringing something to us. And so with that money, we, we hired a friend of mine to be the area director uh, for Young Life. Corey Harriff is his name. And uh, that's, that, that happened 16 years ago, and it's been going strong. Young Life has a ministry primarily to high school kids, the furthest out, as, as we say. Uh, in recent years, it's developed, uh, it's, it's grown to a ministry where we, we reach out to middle school kids. Guess what we call that? wildlife. (laughs) And then about a decade ago, they started another branch of that ministry called Young Life College, uh, which is what I'm part of. And most Young Life Colleges are on college campuses, but we do it a little differently in Rapid City. We want to be community-based, not campus-based. Besides, we have really good campus ministries already existing. But we really saw the need to reach out to 20-somethings, post-high schoolers, because some of them have grown up without faith, and some of them have grown up with it and have started to wander away for whatever reason. And so we want to we want to keep that community and, and keep them tied into that. So uh, that's kind of the story of Rapid City Young Life. Uh, Young Life itself started 75 years ago because of a youth pastor uh, in a Presbyterian church down in Texas named Jim Rayburn. And when he showed up for work, his senior pastor uh, said, Jim... And he pointed over to a corner room, and he said, that is not your office. It may look like an office, but it's not your office. It may have your name on the door, but it's not your office. And Jim Rayburn's kind of like, you know, wet behind the ears, youth pastor. <laughs> okay, where's my office? <laughs> and the senior pastor said, your office is across the street in that high school. That's where I want to see you every day. And so Jim Rayburn said, Okay, so he went into the high school and he started doing things like cleaning the tables in the cafeteria and he just started hanging out with kids and spending time with them. And what he did is he earned the right to be heard and he began to build relationships from which these young people could trust a loving adult and then in that context he told them about Jesus Christ. And see, what Jim Rayburn was doing was living out Galatians 2.20 He was going into the high school, letting those kids see Christ in the smallest of actions that he did until they got hungry to know, why are you the way you are? 75 years ago, started in a high school in Texas, and now it's 
in every state of the nation and in 80 countries around the world. I don't think he had any idea that he went to a, when he went to his office every morning that it would become such a thing as this. Now, I need to say this. Young life, if done poorly, can be in conflict or maybe even replace the church. And that's, that's happened. And that never should happen. Because young life, if done properly, is truly the outstretched hand of the evangelistic arm of the church. It's people that are members of the kingdom that are going out, again, to the furthest out kid. Let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever dropped something under the refrigerator? I can remember my boy Cameron when he was little. One of his Hot Wheels would roll underneath the refrigerator. And he'd be quite distressed because it was like one of his favorite Hot Wheels, which I never understood because I think they were all his favorite. But he's, yeah, yeah, you're my eye. Well, okay, I'll get it, you know. And so, you know, have you ever done this? You get down your eye level and you look under the refrigerator and you go, gross. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, there's like mice down there knitting little fur balls or something. And there's sticky stuff there. How does sticky stuff get under the refrigerator? And, and, you know, and there's old Cheerios, and there's those magnetic letters that, you know, you'd stick on the refrigerator, and other things, you know, that would end up under there. And there's that Hot Wheel, and it's kind of like you got to, you know, you get your hand in all that gunk and everything, and you're just kind of feeling your way blind through it all until finally, just at the fingertip, you can kind of roll that thing and kind of scoot it in closer to you. Well, that's kind of what young life does. We, we go where it's kind of gross. We go where it's not very comfortable at times. And, and we just reach and reach and reach with the hope that maybe we can roll that kid a little bit closer uh, to the heart of Christ. So that's what it is. And, uh, and, and I got to share today why it appeals to me, why I got involved in that ministry and, and do that. Because Really, it's kind of the way my heart has beat ever since I became a believer in Jesus Christ. That, that that's the way it ought to be done uh, in the church or in young life. I don't want to put a name to it. I just think that incarnational ministry is really what it's all about. I often tell people that it's the heartbeat and muscle behind young life. Uh, they do a lot of other cool things. They have the best camps I've ever experienced. They're clubs. They call them a party with a purpose. They're wild. They're crazy. Most church people, if you ever walked into them, you'd think you just walked into the craziest thing you've ever seen. But it's, it's strategic why they do that that way. But the most important thing in young life, club doesn't work, camp doesn't work, if we're not doing what's called contact work. Contact work is where we do what Jim Rayburn did. We go out to where kids are. We don't wait for them to come to us. We go to them, and we just start building relationships with them and earn the right to be heard. One thing I think I've learned in the last few years as a pastor is that we desperately need to be better at making God known to our world. Desperately need to be better at making Christ understandable and tangible to this fallen world. And I've also learned that people desperately need to experience real encounters with God and faith. They desperately need it. Um, They're not all out there, I don't want anything to do with this. They might be saying that, but they desperately need to have an encounter with faith. So we have the example of Christ 
Uh, there it is. There's that chorus in, 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 uh, in the song. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. And then mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to give them second birth. Are born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You know, on that line, mild he lays his glory by. You think about that, the, the immensity and power of, of, of the sun that our planets revolve around. It's just, it's dazzling. And, and it's nothing compared to who Jesus Christ is. In all of eternity, he has been this massive, massive, consuming fire of glory and majesty. And in order to save us, he said, I, you know, I have to veil that. I'm going to veil that in human flesh. And I'm going to go make myself known to them. And in that flesh, not only make myself known to them, I'm going to do what needs to be done to save them, to rescue them from their brokenness. And you think of the humility that Christ displays to us there in taking that step. He didn't have to. He could have let us go. But he chose to humble himself and be found in the likeness of a man. I like the way it says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message, uh, the paraphrase of that verse I really like, is that, is that God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> I, I, you can't say it any better, you know, and there went the neighborhood as soon as God moved in. It was never the same, you know? In 1 Timothy 3.16, boy, there's a lot of good 3.16s. As I was driving down here, I'm thinking, I might write a book called 3.16 and, and see what, you know, what, every, what every book that has a chapter 3 and a verse 16 has to say. But in 1 Timothy 3.16, it tells us in there that God was revealed in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. If anybody's confused about that, that's, that's who he is. He's God in a bod, walking around on this filthy sod. He, he, he came right down to us, this broken world, this sewage of our sin, and waded right into it with us. So we have the example of Christ that... That, that incarnational ministry is, is I'm going to go where you are no matter how nasty it is. So how does that work out in the church? Well, I want to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul had a real heart for the Thessalonian church. It was a young church. It wasn't a church he got to spend a lot of time in. Uh, he had to leave town real quick right after founding this church. And I'm pretty sure that he was quite worried and concerned about how they were doing. And he praised them for their faith and for their love. It's the one church that you get really good reports in a surprising situation because you would think that without a pastor, without elders, they might have floundered. But somehow, uh, God helped the Thessalonians to make it. But here's, here's why I think the Thessalonians did so well, because just for a brief time, Paul was there. Just for a brief time, they had an example in Paul following the example of Jesus Christ. Another one of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul says, follow my example as I follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> In other words, when people see Paul, they should be seeing Jesus Christ. When people see me, they should be seeing Jesus Christ. I, when I was a, you know, a you know, snot-nosed youth pastor, 
uh, I was doing vacation Bible school, and one of my favorite kids, he was one of my only boys in the youth group at the time, so we kind of became like brothers because, you know, we're surrounded by all those girls. And, and we showed up to work at vacation Bible school, and we, surprisingly, we didn't call each other to, you know, say, this is what I'm going to wear today. I was wearing army fatigues. Steve showed up in army fatigues. I was wearing tennis shoes. Steve had tennis shoes. I had this, uh, this uh, youth conference T-shirt that I just got that summer. It was really cool, and I was wearing that. Steve was at the same youth conference. He got the T-shirt, too. He was wearing that. I kind of I had this, this 80s metal head hair thing going. It really wasn't a mullet. It was just this big, wild head of hair that went halfway down my back. And, uh, and Steve was almost as long-haired as I was. And we, we kind of showed up, we looked at each other, and these little old ladies, you know, doing vacation Bible school go by and go, oh, you guys are so cute. <laughs> hey, guys don't like to be called cute. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to be all spiritual here. And I said, Steve, I, I, this is flattering and all, but, you know, if you want to imitate somebody, you should imitate Jesus, not me. And without batting an eye, this 16-year-old kid looked right at me and said, all right, you show me Jesus and I'll follow him. And there it is. He just told me what ministry was. You show me Jesus so I know how to follow him. And right, right there, I just go, and he walks away, and, and I'm like, okay, God, I can't do that without you. I can't do that unless you somehow live out in me. So Paul was doing that. And, and here's what he says to the, the church in Thessalonica in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Uh, He says, you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, about our coming to you. It has not proven to be purposeless. But although we suffered earlier and were mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of much opposition. For the appeal we make does not come from error or impurity or with deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we declare it, not to please people, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never appeared with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor to seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have imposed our weight as apostles of Christ. You know, we could have, Paul basically said, we could have thrown our weight around a little bit. Instead, we became little children among you. Mildly he lay his glory by. And like a nursing mother, we cared for you as our own children. And then verse 8, with such affection for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. Now, you see what Paul is saying there? Is Is that the affection that he had for those people was so deep that he says, I'm not just here to share the gospel with you. I'll share that, but I want to share my life with you. And really what he was doing in sharing his life, he was sharing the gospel. So let me wrap it up with this. What does that look like? Well, 2 Corinthians 12, 15 says this, Now I will, be gladly, now I will most gladly spend and be spent for your lives. Hear that? That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. I will gladly spend and be spent for your lives. What does it look like to live incarnational ministry? How does that work out in the people of Jesus Christ in the church? We, we should be willing to spend, to sacrifice 
And we should be willing to be spent for lost people. Now, the Corinthians was probably the most messed up people in the New Testament world. They had some real problems. When I read about the kind of people they are, I'm sort of like, I would not want to associate with them. But Paul says, I want to be spent for them. Love is always a sacrifice. And there's some messed up people out there in the world. There's some messed up people right here in the church, too. And our job is to love them the way Christ loves them. There's another 316, and it's not John 316, but 1 John 316. And it says, we have come to know love by, like, by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Thus, we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. How does the world know what love looks like? I mean, there's lots of counterfeits out there. There's lots of voices saying, well, this is love. But if they really want to know what love looks like, they ought to see it in us as we lay our lives down for one another. One of my Young Life college kids works as a bartender. She's a single mom. Life's pretty tough for her. She's made a lot of bad choices, and she's facing the consequences of them now. And because of her work schedule and having a kid and everything, she doesn't come to our clubs, as we call them, when we gather our community together of 20-somethings. So one day, late Saturday night, Lori and I were driving back into town from visiting my folks, and she said, let's go see Liz. And I'm like, but Liz is at work at the 445, a bar. And I'm not so sure that's a good idea, (laughs) going in there. You know what I was doing is I was thinking about my reputation. And, and this is what I got nailed with as I was thinking about what, what my wife just said, let's go do this, is that is my reputation more important than Liz? So I said, okay, let's go see Liz. I, I, you know, I, I don't like bars. But we walked in there, and loud music, there was a live band playing, and it was jam-packed. There was no place to sit. There was hardly a place to stand in there. And I looked, and yep, she's at work. She's behind the bar. So we... We, Lori and I just kind of did this. Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. As we worked out, we kind of had to yell it because it was really loud. And, and, and as, as we approached the bar, this is what we saw, right? We saw Liz look up and see us. She locked eyes with Lori and me. She nearly vaulted the bar to get to us and hug us <laughs> and thank us for taking the time to come and see her in this hellhole where she's working right now. See, that's what Jesus did. He didn't care about his reputation. He cared about us. Mildly lay his glory by. That's what love looks like. In 2 Corinthians 6, 13, uh, Paul says this to them. He says, "We we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide to you. Isn't that a great phrase? Our heart has been opened wide to you. Again, messed up people, <laughs> but open hearts. Okay, Christmas. You guys all know the Grinch, right? What was his problem? His heart was two sizes too small. What happens at the end of the story? Spoiler alert. His heart grew three sizes that day. And suddenly he, he saved Christmas for Whoville. The very thing he almost destroyed, he suddenly turned around and saved. What would happen if our hearts grew wide? Grew three sizes this day towards people that aren't very lovable. 
what would happen? I think they'd have a real encounter with Jesus Christ. And then finally, Galatians 4.9 says this, My children, I, I, I am again undergoing birth pains. Paul, a single man, wrote that. I am again undergoing birth pains until Christ is formed in you. I think this is where we get the statement, labor of love. That, that Paul couldn't find any analogy more fitting other than the incredible agony and joy of giving birth. So when I taught at Rapid City Christian High School, I had this kid named Ryan in my class. He was a ninth grader at the time. No, 10th grader. Uh, quarterback. He, he was going to be the next Brett Favre. I told him that's good, but you should really apply your studies to have a backup plan. And uh, he was the kid that I had to move to the front of the room because he was always distracting somebody else. Ryan, you just come up here. They take this chair right in front of me. Yeah, Mr. Rombo. And he'd come up there and sit there. And, and our classrooms were so small that I kid you not that my legs were pretty much right up against his desk. And you know what that little turkey would do while I'm up there lecturing? Kick me in the shins. I kid you not. He's, I would be trying to teach, and he's like, wow, I'm hitting me in the knee. I'm like, Ryan, come on. You know? and, and he was just relentless in it. I had bruises on my legs from that. There were marks from this sort of thing. And I'm like, I don't want to kill this kid. You know, it would be good to do right in front of class. So I waited until the end of class. I said, Ryan, why don't you hang around for a few minutes, okay? So I can kill you. <laughs> I'm teaching biblical studies, right? And that's, that's what's going on in my head. That's why Galatians 2.20 is constantly convicting me. And I said, Ryan, what is your deal? He goes, oh, I don't know, Mr. Rambo. I guess I kick you in the shins because I never had a big brother. And you kind of seem like a big brother to me. <laughs> Suddenly my heart opened wide to Ryan through that. And I said, well tell you what, just stop kicking me in the shins, okay? Had a conversation with him later. He was really down one day, feeling pretty beat up. Uh, He was one of the most arrogant students I ever had, and it showed, and he knew it. And uh, I said, Ryan, what's wrong? He goes, I don't know. He's just, everybody's mad at me. I just feel like I'm at odds with the whole world. And I said, well, you're a lot like the Apostle Peter. He was a real jerk, too. Kind of a jackass at times. But, you know, Jesus saw something in him and said, you know what, I want you to be the guy I build the church on. I didn't realize that when I said that to Ryan that it would penetrate so deep. Ryan is now a pastor. He went to Moody Bible Institute. In a month, his first book is going to be published by Moody uh, Publishing. He is now in North Carolina where he pastors a church with 1,000 members in it. The guy has left me in the dust. And he got a hold of me one day, and he said it was just because of that conversation that I had. And I thought, what if my heart had never opened wide to this shin kicker sitting in my classroom? It is a labor of love, and it does hurt sometimes. And it's not easy loving unlovable people. But that's what incarnational ministry is. Brothers and sisters, the church should never be a field of dreams. You know, build it and they'll come. Facilities are nice. They have their purpose and their use. Programs are useful. But we shouldn't build them just expecting people to come. 
Our building does not reveal who Christ is and what he has done. Our programs don't really even reveal who Christ is and what Christ has done. The only thing that can reveal who Christ is and what he has done is you and me. And that's it. That's it. So we've got a great place for people to come. Don't wait for them. Go get them. Go dive under that refrigerator and keep reaching until you draw them a little bit closer to Jesus Christ. Win them. Win them by winning the right to be heard. Move into the neighborhood, literally or figuratively. Go where people are hurting. Go where souls are the furthest away from God and say, I'm here to love you. And be bold and be vulnerable while you display Christ to others. Okay? I'm three minutes over. Let's pray. Lord, if the expression of my faith does not in any way involve engaging the culture around us and lost people, then I have completely missed who you are and what you've done. And Lord, it's real easy for me to just kind of cloister myself away. I'm an introvert. I, I, I get nervous around people. But yet, I would not be here today had, if Jim Crossman had not come and shared the gospel with me, not only in word but in love and deed as well. So, Lord, help us to be those sort of people. Help us to follow the same example of Christ. Help us right now to to mildly lay our glory by, to humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, use me, take me where people need to know you. And, Lord, I pray that that, that as as we do that, it doesn't take very many. But if, if just those sitting here were to go out into this community and just display the love of Christ humbly and meekly, even the most unlovable, I think a whole community would be transformed. And again, Lord, it's, it's not in our power, but by faith. Let the life of Christ be lived out in us that others may see and others may know, that others may hear, and in all of that, that others might believe and come to know this marvelous Savior that we're celebrating in this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.